welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. And we're going to jump into the scripture here in 1 Samuel 18 and continue where we were last week and continue moving forward. 18 verse 6. Everybody with me? Let's do it. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the woman came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. As he did day by day, Saul had his spear in his hand. And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living and active, God. Thank you that you didn't say about the Old Testament, like, we don't need that anymore. Kick it in the dustbin. But God, your ways, your word, they're, they're humming with life. And God, let your word be planted into our heart that it would produce a fruit of righteousness, that we would walk after you with a spirit of purity, uh, of righteousness. God, a heart that desires you above all things. Lord, let this word change our heart this morning. Change me, change the hearer, and change all of the people that listen around the country, God, and our podcast and people that are online joining us right now. God, let, let their hearts be stirred within them by the word of God. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Nikki on the keys, everyone. Nikki on the keys. Nikki on the keys. Nikki on the keys. <laughs> good job. Good job, team. Good job. <laughs> that, was a good, that was a good Nikki on the keys response. We're just going to have to name all future synth players Nikki. That's just going to have to be how it works from here on out. All right, listen, one other announcement Bethany forgot to announce is tonight, my friend, Pastor Joe Kelly, will be preaching this evening at our 6 o'clock service. We have a 6 o'clock service, and we have a distinctly different group that hangs out at 6 o'clock service. And um, if you want to hear Pastor Joe, come on out. He's an incredible guy. He's been pastoring in the Hamptons for like 30 years. And he, I think the story is, we'll find out tonight if I'm right or not, but approximately, he was like a, he was like a jobless, half-homeless bum of a guy that got radically saved and his heart got lit on fire by Jesus. And then the Lord took, him, took over his life and he started living for Jesus wildly, and, and, and not just his spiritual life came alive, but he was like a grunt on a construction site and ended up being one of the top residential builders in the Hamptons. And I don't know if you've ever been to the Hamptons, <laughs> that's nothing to, uh, to wink at. He's built many multi-million dollar houses and God has blessed him abundantly financially and spiritually, and he's been able to fund missions all around the world. He's got incredible missions in South America, incredible missions in India, and we as a church believe that God is a God that wants to prosper his people rightly, 
so that they can be a blessing. There's a big difference between the bad idea of like, I'm going to lay my hand on a Cadillac and tomorrow an angel's going to drop it off in my driveway. And the idea that God wants to prosper me, that I would be a blessing to the world around me, to the broken and the lost and the hurting don't have to live in pain. And I can show them the love of Jesus as poured out onto my life. Amen. And so if you're around, please come out and hang with us and Pastor Joe at 6 o'clock. I had the opportunity this weekend to, to um, speak at March for the Martyrs in Washington, D.C. with a group of people. Who went to D.C. with me? Can, we raise, can you raise your hands? These guys drove to D.C. yesterday and back in one day. Thank you guys so much. And it was a really cool, you know, I don't know if you know this, but there are more martyrs today than there ever has been in the history of Christianity. There are more people that are killed for their faith today. Why isn't it talked about? Why isn't it on the front page of CNN and Fox and all these you know, media outlets? Well, because primarily um, we have a God of this world. Ephesians chapter 4 says that there's a God of the world who is his, his job, one of the things he loves to do is blind the eyes of the people so that they won't see the light and the truth of the gospel. So, you know, we have this whole system that is set up against our faith, and so I think it's appropriate to be skeptical against, uh, as related to secular institutions, but um, that we could actually know what's going on is incredible. And I was talking to a missionary that our church supports, Micah Studer. How many of you guys have heard Micah speak before? Wow, he needs to come back out. He's in Dubai right now. He's in the 1040 window, and he runs youth with a mission over the entire 1040 region. We've been, he was our first missionary we supported. He was with me in Walla Walla and Bethany over a decade ago when I was youth pastoring on the West Coast. And he said to me Wednesday, he said, David, the Taliban's taking over. Obviously, Christians are being killed and persecuted, and it's horrific. And he said, but there are concussions of evil that people don't understand. They don't get the gravity of what's happened. And he said, you know, for instance, there was a 14-year-old girl. We were trying to get her out of the country because a man in his 60s said, I want that girl. She will be my sexual slave. They, they call it marriage, right? But it's sexual subjugation. It's treating a, a little girl, a 14-year-old, with hopes and dreams of a future and wedding and marriage and children and taking the, the delicacy of her heart and saying, nah, I think I'll make you my sexual slave. I think the base desires of my nature will be dominating your life forever. And so the girl was so terrified, they, she said, we, I, can we get out of here? She's talking to Christian missionaries, and they tried to pay off this man in his 60s $10,000. Our friend in, in the Middle East, he was spearheading this. And the guy said, no, I don't want the money. I'd rather have, I'd rather, I'd rather have the 14-year-old girl. So she tried to kill herself, and she failed the suicide attempt. And as she's in the hospital, they're trying to keep her alive. The man says, you know what? I think I'll take the 10 grand. And so they paid him off and they got her out of there. And she's right, last time I talked to him earlier this week, we, she was on the border of Afghanistan and they were trying to get her to a safe place. When I said this yesterday at the March for the Martyrs, Proverbs 22 says, when the wicked rule, the people groan. 
When the righteous rule, the people rejoice is the converse scripture. And we think we live in this, you know, culture that it's like, ah, it's not really a big deal. There's no persecution or martyrdom is far away. We don't understand the concussive effects of what happens in our country and the things it does for Christianity around the world. Micah told me that there was evac planes at the airport in Kabul and the United States military they had groups of people coming up to the planes. He said they would, if they had groups of Christians, Micah said they would send groups of Christians in vans back to the city center, but if you were LGBTQ, they would put you on the front seats of the evac planes. The United States military. Because we have this darkness that is, is, is seething through our policy, our government, our media, that says Christianity is this gross, archaic, primitive, Neanderthal belief system. And this is really, this is real freedom. This, this, these are the things that we're really called to actually protect. And so the issue of martyrdom is not just only about martyrs, it's about state entities and individuals that have their this demonic inspiration to shut the church down and destroy people of faith. And so we have an obligation as believers to stand not just and in times of persecution and forgive the person persecuting us. Like that's fundamental. Jesus said, forgive your enemies, bless those who curse, curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you, right? It's fundamental to Christianity. But in Revelation chapter 6, when John is looking at the altar, it says underneath the altar, the saints of God, the martyrs, cry out. And they say, God, when will you execute vengeance upon our enemies and justice upon those who killed us? Because God is not only concerned with mercy, he's concerned with mercy and justice. He's a merciful God, but he's a just God as well. And I don't have a ton of time to jump into that, but if you get a chance, please read through Revelation chapter 6. And this is the New Testament. This is not the Old Testament where the saints are some kind of, well, it's Old Covenant, we don't get it, it's this weird thing. It is the New Testament saints from heaven declaring and, 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 and praying to the throne of God for justice to come. And that's something that we have forgotten in the modern church, that God is not just a God of mercy, He's not just a giant marshmallow, stay puffed marshmallow man in the sky. Anybody see that movie with the stay, giant stay puffed marshmallow man? What is that, Ghostbusters 1 or 2? There's two. Great reference. <laughs> but God is a God of justice. And one day, you know, we're going to stand before him. And you can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time, sooner or later. Anybody? Johnny Cash, cheapers, creepers, you guys. Broaden your artistic perspective. <laughs> okay, hey, last week we talked about Jonathan and David, and uh, we talked about this incredible relationship that was inspired by the Holy Spirit that joined them together. And how Jonathan, when he met David, he just was giving him everything. He's like, my sword, my spear, my outer tunic, my inner tunic. And, and there was this, this really cool picture. It's almost a parallel between us when we come to Christ and the love of Christ that bestows the gifts of God to us. 
and the gifts of the Spirit, but also a new identity, also the robe, the inner tunic, and the outer tunic. And this is what it says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, so when we as believers are inside of Christ, in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. That means that when we come to Jesus, we're not like me plus I have a Jesus purse, just like an accessory to my life, but I have an entirely new identity. All my clothes have been changed. For you have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then it says this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free nor male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And what Paul is saying to the church of Galatia is listen, your fundamental identity has now been changed. The way you act, the way you think, the way you walk through life, the way you process things, the way relationships happen. Now you are found in Christ Jesus and your identity is derived from him. It flows forth from Christ. Verse 8. Saul was very angry with this refrain. This is the refrain that was the people of Israel, the ladies of Israel were singing Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And, and Saul said this, they have credited David with ten thousands, and he thought, but me with only thousands, what more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. And the contrast is really clear in this portion of scripture. On the one hand, you have Jonathan, who's a picture of Christ, who's giving his weapons and everything that he holds dear and his clothes and his identity and all of these things he's, he's giving out of a heart of love, of compassion towards another. And Saul, in a contrast, a clear contrast, is so desperate about things being taken away from him. Now listen, remember the context here. There was a giant that was dominating the people of Israel. Remember? Like five minutes ago, the people of Israel were underneath the oppression of a demonic-inspired giant that they're held in fear, they're frozen, they can't move, they, they can't live out the life God has called them to. And David has come by the Spirit of God and liberated the people of Israel, right? And Saul doesn't care. He doesn't care about the people of Israel. He cares only about himself. He cares about his kingdom. He cares about his stuff. He cares about what's important to him. He cares about losing the scraps that he has. There's an incredible contrast between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. God is a God of abundance. He's a God of generosity. That when there are two thieves on the cross, right, and this guy who calls out to Jesus, Lord, remember me on this day. He can do nothing for Jesus. Do you get that? Like, he can't get down off the cross and be like, and, if you, and I'll work for you for the next five years. There's nothing he can do. He's about to die, and the unbelievable generosity of God flows forth to the penitent heart. To this man who is willing to say, God, I am guilty. I am rightly on this cross. And I just throw myself up on the mercy seat and say, please just remember me. I don't, he didn't even ask for forgiveness. You realize, you know that? 
He's like, I'm, I'm guilty. I shouldn't even be forgiven. And God sees the humility and, and the heart that approaches the throne. And Jesus says, this day you will be with me in paradise. God is not limited. He's not lacking mercy. He's not lacking grace. He's not limited. He's not living from the perspective of need or of lack. But the wicked king, it's all about himself and it's all about his kingdom. It's all about what he has in his time and his resources. And if somebody else is competing, they're an enemy. I had a great opportunity to meet some really cool guys this weekend. And two of them were like, yeah, we were in New York City two weeks ago. And I was like, what, what, doing what? They said, we were in Central Park and we just set up a speaker and we get a microphone and we just start preaching the gospel. I'm like, yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> I've seen that at different places, not so effective. Um, you know, we've had evangelist groups that have been awesome preaching on the subway, preaching in the neighborhood. And, and some of them have been more effective, some of them been less effective, but I really felt that God saying, like, I want people to be brave enough to declare the gospel. And not the gospel just in an, an angry, you know, angry, angry Jesus tone, like burn and burn, 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 burn. Now listen, there is justice. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, right? Those things are real. But the gospel message has always been two sides of the coin. It has always been miraculous grace, undeserved favor, the love of an incredible God, and this incredible justice. Because he cannot be perfect and omniscient and right and good if he's not just. He can't be. And so I was talking to the, um, Shane, and he's, <laughs> he's like, we just start preaching the gospel and praying for the sick and people start getting healed. We pray for people to be uh, freed from demonic oppression in their life. And he's like, and people start demonically manifesting and screaming and we pray for them and they get freed and delivered and they, God, and he's like, we had three or 400 people on the day that the hurricane showed up two weeks ago. Remember that? I was like, you had any people? <laughs> And he's like, and God is doing something sovereign right now. There's an opportunity. I, I feel like there's a kairos time. And kairos in the Greek word, there's two words for time. One is chronos, which is like time as it moves forward. It's just regular old time. And then kairos time is like there is a moment in time. And there is right now a moment in time before God. And God is rewarding the brave. And people that will stand up and declare his word, he's backing them up. And I'm hearing about it all over the nation. People that have... Like, they're, they're just a guy, a guy that was in church. He said to me, David, I was just a cop who prayed. I wasn't a pastor. I didn't go to Bible school. I wasn't anything. I was a cop that loved God and prayed. And I felt God compel me to say, get out on the streets and start preaching. He said, I prayed for 500 people to be healed before I saw a single person healed. And now he said, and now everywhere I go, God heals someone. God heals a broken ankle or a broken spirit or an oppressed heart. Yeah. A demonically tormented mind. He said in New York City on the, uh, in the park, he said there was so much deliverance. And I don't know if you know this, but I've been, God's used Bethany and I in a number of different deliverance sessions where people have demonic torment in their life and we pray and spiritual oppression leaves and weird stuff happens. It's just weird. It's just weird stuff. Sometimes people throw up. Sometimes people, you know, sometimes people float in the air and I have to jump kick them down out of the air. Very rarely, but sometimes I got to do it. I got to do it sometimes. 
<laughs> I'm joking, please, jeepers, creepers. Um, <laughs> he was saying, David, people were manifesting all over the park where we were praying. People were throwing up, and the rain was pouring down, and we were like, we have to leave. And they were, people were crying out, please don't leave. We need prayer. The people in New York City were crying out for Christians to declare the word of God and pray for them. And we're like, nah, it's too hard, it's too dark, it's too blah, 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 it's too whatever. It's too lacking bold people. It's too lacking bold Christians. The Christians that are concerned with their stuff and their kingdoms. And I'm one of them. But when I was talking to those guys, I was just like, okay. <laughs> you know, a spirit of, like, there's a stupid ministry thing that happens where people get jealous of each other, and they're like, oh, oh my God, what if you come and plant a church, and my church disappears? And I was just like, my heart is not like that. I'm like, if you're winning for Jesus, I want to do everything in my possible power to lay down so you can climb over me so you can get more people for Jesus. So I was like, dude, you're coming to my church. I'm having you here. Next month, you're coming. We're doing it, we're going out to the streets, we're preaching, we're casting demons out of people, we're praying for the sick, we're doing it. And he's like, let's do it. I'm like, great, we're doing it. He's like, let's do it. I'm like, we're doing it. <laughs> anyway, he's gonna be here in a couple months. Um, because I believe that there's a world out there that desperately needs Jesus. And I believe there's a time right now, and I think it's a couple of year window, maybe it's longer, that God is calling the believers to be brave. And I'm sick and tired of cool guy pastors, famous pastors, and big events. I'm tired of it. Done with it. Throw, I'll throw up. <laughs> like the demoniacs. <laughs> God wants believers to stand up and declare his goodness and his truth. You know, Jesus, he didn't say like, okay, disciples, I want you to go out and declare my truth and pray for people. Actually, you know what? Not disciples. Just the top three. Just Peter, James, and John. Everybody else stay home. You don't have what it takes. He sent everybody out. Everybody that carried the testimony of Jesus went out. And they declared his truth and beauty. And so that's, that's a cool thing to do. Let's do that. Huh? Want to do that with me at some point? You guys down? You down? Let's do that. All right. Speaking of which, we're planning on doing that at some point on our conference weekend. Juan Riesco from Chicago was like, David, can I have a speaker and go out and preach the gospel in the streets? I was like, yes. I'm going to send sincere with you, actually, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so we're going to have a group at some point do evangelism that weekend. Anyway, let's, let's keep continuing the scripture because believe it or not, I'm not just ranting. This kind of goes together. 1 Samuel 18, 10. The next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre as he usually did and Saul had a spear in his hand. You ever read a scripture and you're like, okay, I gotta slow it down because I just missed it. I just read it, but I wasn't paying any attention at all. That happens to me oftentimes. I'm like, do I wanna go back? I'm like, nah, I read it. <laughs> Sometimes I go back. I was reading in Revelation chapter six as I was preparing for the March for the Martyrs and John, when he sees the altar, he says, and I looked and under the altar were the martyrs. And I was like, what? Under the altar? What are they doing there? Why are they underneath? Isn't that weird? And then I realized that Paul says that my life would be poured out like a sacrifice, a drink sacrifice, an offering to God. And then I realized uh, that on the altar there were sacrifices poured out to God. 
and that they would be down below or underneath as they were poured onto the, sacri- onto the altar. And the martyrs' lives were literally a drink offering poured out to God. And the sacrifice of their life was crying out to God. I was reading this for Samuel 18.10, and it says this, And the next day an evil spirit of God came forcefully on Saul. And he was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. So here's the picture. You have David having a worship service in Saul's house. Saul is prophesying. And it doesn't say, notice it doesn't say he's falsely prophesying. You notice that? David's playing worship music. Saul's prophesying, and also, there's an evil spirit upon Saul. You know, there's a really silly idea in Christianity today that, that Christians can say a prayer and then they, there's, there's no demonic torment or attack in their life. That's nonsense. Nonsense. There's not a single scripture that you can point to me that can back that up. As a matter of fact, when Jesus casts the demoniac, the, uh, the, the demon entity, legion, into the herd of swine, there's a picture that we see, and that picture is that you, whether you have a spirit or not, the demonic is attached to the flesh, not the spirit. When you come to Christ, your spirit is regenerated. When Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, he was talking about his spirit being born again. I'm talking about his flesh. He, you're like, you don't say a prayer and then turn a new color. Like turn like buzzing white, yellowish, you know, neon, whatever that would be. Your inner man is born anew. So it says the next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul as he was prophesying in his house while David was playing the liar. And I was just wrote a question, because this is what I do when I'm prepping my message. I just said, is it possible that the devil is in your worship? Matthew 7, 22, and not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only who does, he who does the will of my Father, verse 22, says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? You know, I always wondered why Jesus used that manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the description of what people will say when they stand before him. Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? And then it says, do many, many miracles, etc., etc. But the first one is prophecy. Why is the first one prophecy? I think it's a, I think it's a, a reference to Saul. I think it's a reference to Saul, who is called by God, who is anointed by God, who was being used as the king of Israel, who was prophesying on behalf of God, and he had really ultimately lost his position before God because of the sin in his life, because of the rebellion in his life, because of the blatant rebellion against God. And you say, yo, can you, how could it be possible that, that you can prophesy and and work of the Holy Spirit and then still have demonic activity in your life. Oh, it's possible. No, it's super possible. I happen to be a lawyer. I don't know if you know that. I'm a lawyer. And so I deal with a lot of Christian filth. What are you talking about, Christian filth? I mean people that get in weird situations, bad situations. 
or I just know about stuff because I'm a lawyer and people tell me they, they, you know, they're not my clients, but they think there's confidentiality. There's no confidentiality if you didn't sign a document. <laughs> and I just like the like the the pastors or the preachers or the worship leaders that people think are amazing, that walk on water and walk in purity, have horrific sin in their life, lots and lots and lots of them. And we emulate people because they're on a stage. We emulate people because they have a big voice. We emulate people because they prophesy. And potentially the devil is with them. Potentially the devil is in their worship. 1 Samuel 16. Whenever the Spirit of God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play and relief would come to Saul and he would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. If you remember, it was like maybe a month and a half or two months ago, I preached this section of 1 Samuel chapter 16 and, and Saul is, he, it says, the scripture says, just like it says in 18, that God sent an evil spirit to torment this guy. And you say, well, why would God do that? Chaos in our life is supposed to lead us back to God. Do you know that? Chaos and tragedy is supposed to lead us to God, not away from God. God uses his grace, his mercy, sunsets, flowers, butterflies, unicorns. <laughs> God uses beauty in the world to draw us to him. He uses beauty, and he also uses pain. And if you're like me, pain works a lot better. Maybe you're not like me. Maybe you're smarter. I hope you are smarter. But for me, pain works really well. To say, God, you know what? That hurt, and I know I shouldn't have put my finger in the outlet. You told me not to, but I did it anyway, because I'm an idiot. Please forgive me and heal me. It says this in 1 Samuel 16, whenever the Spirit of God came, excuse me, whenever the evil spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play, and then relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. I just, this is my proposition. What if the worship music is so large in the church in America today because so many Christians are demonically oppressed, and that's the only time they get relief? Do you, do you know the worship movement in America today is bigger than it ever has been in the history of the church? Worship movements are far more famous than pastors or preachers. You know far more worship songs than you do messages. I promise you that. Now, there's an element of rhyme and, and meter and, and all of those things making it easier to memorize. But I just wonder how many believers come into worship and are desperate to worship to get relief in their heart from demonic oppression when God is saying if you would walk in obedience like Jesus there would be no place for the devil there would be no place for oppression but when I walk in sin pain comes because that's how God made the world when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden this original context for sin coming into the world the thing that immediately happens next is shame and pain and they're hiding from God and they're isolated and they're separated the curse comes and brings pain from the earth and thorns and all of this chaos comes with it. Sin brings chaos. When we get saved, it doesn't just like, sin doesn't just stop bringing chaos until like when we're, when we're 
um, uh, knowingly, rebelliously walking out of accordance with God's way, that brings pain in our life and chaos in our life. I was just thinking, just even in our, of our worship songs, even of, of our day, you don't, you don't hear songs like we used to, like, created me a clean heart, oh God. Does anybody know that song, created me a, cl- a clean heart? Created me a clean heart. I haven't heard a song about repentance in 20 years. I'm not going to point out a brand of worship label, because none of them have a song about God cleaning me or restoring me or repentance or are my robes white, Lord? You've called me and you've chosen me and you've anointed me and I don't want to just sing songs about me overcoming the mountains in my life. I don't want to just sing songs about me crossing the rivers. Me in the boat with me. Jesus is with me too. Jesus, I said your name, therefore the song is true. I was all from right here. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, my gosh. The Lord is embarrassed. All right. <laughs> but what happened to the song about repentance, about cleaning our heart, about, like, God, purify me. Give me a heart for your kingdom, for your word, for the lost, for the broken for the oppressed. I'm reading in Mark right now, reading through the book of Mark, and I cannot get away from everywhere Jesus goes. He heals the sick, and he casts demons out of the oppressed people. Everywhere he goes. Matthew 22, 1. Let's look at this real quick. And it says, And Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. The picture here is Jesus comes into the world. His disciples say, Jesus is here. The kingdom of heaven is here to the people of Israel, and the people of Israel reject Jesus. They reject him, and they they kill him, right? This is the context for the parable. Then he sent more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner, my ox and my fatted calf have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. They seized his servants and mistreated them and killed them. And so the martyrs that, the the early century martyrs that were declaring the kingdom of God, declaring the, the great wedding feast, were stoned and mutilated and butchered by the Roman um, tyranny, monarchy, oligarchy, and by the Jewish people as well. And then it says, and the king was enraged and he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. And that's what happens in 70 AD, if you gotta do your research because the scripture was written before the fall of Jerusalem, but God literally destroys Jerusalem. He destroys the whole city. There's not one stone left on another. You should look into it. It's incredible. There weren't any more crosses. There weren't any more trees around the city of Jerusalem for miles because the Romans crucified everyone they could. 
all, every, all the men they could, with all of the trees they had, they crucified the people of Jerusalem. And the judgment of God came upon Jerusalem. And God said something like this, you crucified my son, and now I'm going to crucify all of you. Literally, God overturns the city. Exactly what Jesus says would happen is exactly what happens. People don't understand this. They think it's like some, they think like Jesus' parables were some kind of, you know, it's just some kind of meta narrative. It's literally exactly what happens. Then the king said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the street and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. So after the message of Jesus goes to Jerusalem and they reject him, and the judgment of God comes, then the message of Jesus goes out to the Gentile peoples. They weren't the ones initially invited. They weren't the ones that the message first went to. The, the message of the banquet, the goodness and grace of God goes to these people and they begin to accept the message. They begin to say, I'll come. God is that good. He's that kind. The banquet is that incredible. I'll come. Verse 11 says, but when the king came to see his guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. And he, asks, he asked, how did you get into here without wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. And the king told the attendants, take him hand and foot and throw him outside into outer, outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. So the man receives the invitation. He responds to it. He shows up. And the king's like, the king says, friend, what, what are you wearing? Like there's almost confusion in, in the questioning of the king, what, what, what do you have on? And every theologian, every commentary from Calvin before and after, they say this is the picture of the saint of God that's not walking in righteousness. That they have not put on Christ. That they have not changed their identity and put off the old man and put on the free gift that is Christ, which is why there's that confusion in the voice, the questioning voice. What, what are you wearing? You've been given a free gift. You've been given this invitation. You had the garments. They were accessible to you. And it's like, well, Lord, I had Caleb on, on the car on the way in. It was blasting on the way here but my clothes were filthy. My acts were filthy. I was relying on a Hail Mary prayer before God and not saying, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, renew a right spirit in me. My friend Shane said, David, I was at a mega church and I was playing drums. We had seven services on the weekend and I was playing all seven services. And he said, and I was getting hammered and I was sleeping with girls just like the pastors were. And he said, somebody came up to me one day and they said, hey, just FYI, I don't think you're a Christian. I don't think you're saved. And if you die, 
you're not going, it's very unlikely that you go to heaven. You've been given an invitation, you've been extended the grace and mercy of God, and you're living in the filthy identity of the world. I was talking to a buddy last year, and he was in sexual impropriety with his girlfriend, living consistently. And I, I was praying about the meeting before I went to meet with him. We were meeting down by the World Trade Center, and I'm walking to the World Trade Center, and I just felt like I was saying, Lord, what should I say to this guy? I don't know. Like, hey, don't do that anymore. It's really bad. Jesus died on the cross for you. He has a plan, and you're, like, destroying it. You're destroying your future. This is really a bad idea. I know the whole world says it's okay, but also the world hates God. So let's, like, you know, press the reset button. And I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, what am I supposed to say to this guy? And the Lord said, tell him he is a sheep in wolves' clothing. Have you ever heard the phrase, a wolf in sheep's clothing? Have you heard that phrase before? Like the wolf, he's a really bad guy, and he dresses up like a sheep so he can sneak in. But what if God has, by, the, by his grace, by his blood, called us to be restored, regenerated, renewed in our spirit, but we have decided to wear the garments of the wolf? That we have decided to wear, instead of the clothes that Jonathan gives David that are given out of this heart of love, to, to give sacrificially of his identity, to place it, like Galatians 3 says, that we're to put on Christ. What if church... What if we're just wearing the identity of the world? What if we look nothing like Christians? What if we look exactly like the world? Galatians chapter 3 says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all you who are baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Verse 26 says that you're children of God through faith. The scripture says that faith without works is dead. There is the action that God calls us to walk in following him in purity and righteousness. And the fruit of walking in righteousness is peace. The scripture promises the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our life. Converse side is the side of Saul. It's the tormented, pained, frustrated, living in unforgiveness and shame and sin and addiction to pornography, to chaos, to filth. And it causes a cyclical cycle where everything in my life is about me and my kingdom. Every potential person around me is a threat to me. And God has called us to live with Christ like David and Jonathan. That Jesus gives us a new identity, a new name, a new, new clothes, a new robe to put on. It covers our old stuff. Like it covers the old sin and the old shame. It's so miraculous. It's so unbelievable that independent of what we've done, independent of how dark it's been, independent of where, we are, where we've gone, the identity of Christ covers us. And that beauty and that gift that comes from Jesus calls us to walk in the new identity in Christ. Amen?
Church, why don't you stand with me? Worship team, you can come up. I want to take a moment to pray this morning. When I was prepping the, um, my, my communion message, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, remind the people that my blood is a gift. And the blood of Jesus and the redemption and the restoration and salvation is a gift from God to men. Like Hebrews chapter 5 says, the high priest makes sacrifices and gifts on our behalf. You don't deserve a gift. It's not like it's, you know, it's Christmas time and you're like, all right, everybody, you owe me one. No, a gift is given out of love and grace and generosity and kindness we actually live in a culture where we think we deserve gifts. It's just not how gifts work. If it's an obligation, it's not a gift. The gift is given freely. But then when the gift is given, for us as believers, it's called to be cherished. You know, and I've, I don't really watch Harry Potter. I maybe, my, you know, I've, I've heard of it before. One of my kids watched it, and I was like, there's demons in our house, turn it off. No, I'm joking. Um, but there's this guy, Lord Voldemort, in it. And, and he's got this name, the name which cannot be spoken. Is that right? The name which cannot be spoken? It's, the, the name has so much negative gravity that you're not even supposed to say the name because it's scary. If you say it three times, does he come through the window or something, something like that? But the name of Jesus, conversely, is supposed to have so much weight and beauty that his name, his act, I mean, that's what the name signifies. It, it signifies his personhood, his grace, his goodness, the sacrifice, the gift for us. That's the contrast of Voldemort. His, his name signifies evil and darkness. It's going to get you. It's terrifying. Don't even say it. But in our perspective... We're saying there's a name that's above every name. That name gives me a brand new identity. It clothes me in righteousness. It calls me to live as my savior sacrificially and say, God, not my kingdom, not my will, but yours be done. And we can sing that song, worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve the praise and God, we just ask that would you take our hearts afresh and anew today? God, would you create inside of us a clean heart and a right spirit, Lord? Would you clothe us in Christ Jesus and cover our shame, our sin, and our nakedness, God? Would you draw us in again by your spirit, by your gracious hand, by the beauty of your heart? Would you convict us of sin, God? Would you drive it out of this, this house, this church, and every heart here, that's a burning heart for Jesus. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.